Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. Welcome back. It's another episode of Breaking the Safe with Ryan Ripley and Yuval Urit. We're both professional scrum trainers with scrum.org. Yuval has another interesting title after his name. It is Safe Fellow. And so, of course, when we talk about breaking the safe and trying to figure out what's What's good, what's bad, what's ugly? We're going to defer to Yuval quite a bit in his expertise, but let's see if I can ask some decent questions this week. Actually, Yuval, a question came in. Your comments, everybody, are awesome. Um, you're doing a great job in the comments section. Everyone's playing nice. We appreciate it. So big thumbs up. And the questions are really good. Um, a number of questions came in around PI planning. So I went ahead and wordsmithed it a little bit and had a little fun. Uh, is PI planning, big upfront design, anti-agile, and all-around evil? What do you think, Yuval? I don't know. What are your okay. thoughts, Ryan? Before I, before I go in, what, what are your thoughts? What's your perspective? Yeah, so product increment planning, I don't think it's all-around evil. Um, I think there are some interesting challenges that come when you're trying to plan that far ahead. right? So the last I knew, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I haven't looked at this in and it's been a minute and we're trying to plan. I think it's, is it six sprints ahead? Eight Roughly. to 12 weeks. So yes, five sprints, ahead. five, five, six sprints ahead. I think um, when we go that far out, um, I think it's interesting to play what if, and I think it's good for a product owner to look at, you know, her product backlog and say, what if, you know, we have the most amazing five sprints. What what could we how what kind of progress could we make towards our product goal? Or what kind of sprint goals could make sense? But when it comes to dedicating um full days uh to thinking about what if I, I get nervous only because after the first sprint, most likely everything's gonna radically change. And so, you know, I, I don't know how stable. Uh, safe implementations are three, four, five, six sprints out. I know from working with, um, you know, with Todd and I working with thousands of students, um, you know, I, I would argue maybe, you know, hundreds of scrum teams, maybe not quite that many, but we're quite a few scrum teams in many organizations. 
just having a sprint backlog that looks reasonable can be difficult enough. And now we're trying to do that, you know, five, six sprints, which could be 12 weeks out. Um, it just seems like, it just seems like it would, it would lead to a lot of a waste and rework and, and I'm not even certain within safe how you would trigger that reassessment of PI and whether or not executives expect what's established in PI to be consistent. I know we have the theory, but you and I are also trying to be very pragmatic. And what I have seen is that once PI is locked in, there is an expectation that it stays locked in. Um, but planning that far ahead, I think, is just so difficult. So for me, is it all around evil? No. Does it have elements of anti-agile thinking? Probably. Is it all big upfront design? I don't think so. Um, I don't think every every product backlog item is fully fleshed out at the end of PI planning. I think it, I think they're they're framed out, and then we're trying to figure out six sprints ahead. So that's yeah. my ramble. How, what where, what have I done well? What have I done poorly? And where do I need to improve, Yvel? <laughs> you represented the. I would say the the popular common perspective about PI planning out there. Sure. So you've done great there. All right. Um, a couple of things to to keep in mind. So the agile planning onion was not invented by Safe and is not exclusive to Safe. We talk about it in our professional product owner classes, right? Yep. Scrum product owner classes. Yep. Uh, which means you need to plan for different horizons at different altitudes. PI planning is an implementation of that concept. Scrum teams have been doing release planning at some level. Organizations have been doing release planning as part of Agile at some level for ages. PI planning is evolution of that concept. What are we trying to do with PI planning? We're trying to come up with a reasonable um, understanding shared understanding across a team of teams that has some dependencies some coordination that they need to uh, hash out amongst them of what reality might look like what we might be able to accomplish in the next eight to 12 weeks why do we do that there are a couple of main reasons uh, we do that one is the business wants some understanding of what to expect um, we want to make some, um, some plans. We want to uh, prepare for what might be delivered. We want to have an understanding of what's realistic to expect, what's, you know, a bit more shaky, what's beyond any, um, you know, expectation that it would happen. In order to come up with that sort of um, forecast, teams need to go through some sort of process. The real magic in PI planning is how it involves everybody throughout all of the teams or the team of teams that are working together towards these goals to align on what's important and what's possible. That's the magic of PI planning. In order to get there, what SAFE did is basically take ideas that uh, come from the work of Gene Tabeka, one of the facilitation gods of, of you know, of the agile space, um, something, you know, at Raleigh they called big room planning. Um, didn't love that approach and basically uh, brought it into SAFE. 
that approach is a set of facilitation um, facilitation moves that are uh, orchestrated together to go through you know a sequence of context setting by leadership then teams breaking out to come up with their plans then integrating the thinking seeing where we at doing some what if scenarios then breaking apart again all of that with the desire to align and come up with a plan that everybody is involved with and is committed to in a sense pi planning is the way we achieve an empowered edge or release train that understands what's its purpose and is committed towards its purpose now what pi planning is not is detailed planning for five or six sprints ahead we go into what might happen in each one of these iterations in order to flush out the details sort of uh, you know sent up exercise but the result of pi planning is not you know which stories are going to happen in which iteration the outcome of pi planning is objectives that that we believe are realistic for each one of the teams and for the edge or release plan. and similarly to the sprint goal that is different than the sprint backlog the sprint goal stays stable throughout the sprint the sprint backlog does not the pi objectives are expected to be stable throughout the pi the backlogs for the different iterations are not expected to be stable or and are not even considered an output of pi planning so if i were to bring this into professional scrum an equivalent would be we're going to plan out at a high level, what our sprint goals are going to be for the next four, five, six sprints. We're going to think about why those are important, how we're going to measure uh, whether or not we've achieved them, how we're going to measure the impact of those goals on our product and on our stakeholders. We're going to talk about any any big dependencies we know up front. We're going to talk about uh, a risk mitigation plan. We're going to get our, our primary portfolio board or program board set up. And then we're going to execute the sprints and start working through the details now that all of these things are laid out. Is that accurate? Yes. The, the one thing to acknowledge, though, is that if you and I would go and visit organizations that are running PI planning, that are implementing SAFE, in a lot of them, it would look more like what you described than what I described, which is an issue, a big issue in my view. I mean, no matter... How much as, you know, as a safe fellow in SPCT, I can talk about this approach to PI planning in training um, and, you know, even in organizations that I work with, there's the gravity of we feel more comfortable with defining the details. People struggle to follow the principles of assume variability, preserve options. This is, you know, safe principle. A safe principle number three says we assume variability and we preserve options, which means let's focus on objectives. Let, let's keep the, you know, the detailed backlogs open. Let's not commit to these things might shift throughout the PI. So there's a big gap between the theory of safe and how it's practiced in the trenches, which is a gap that we need to work on on closing. And that's part of our role as, say, fellows and SPCTs is to, to educate people, to, to help them kind of evolve from, let's call it mechanical safe to, you know, safe that follows the principle, professional safe, whatever you want to call it. Sure. It's interesting because the 
you know, the advent of remote work, it has allowed me to observe a, a few PI planning sessions. You know, we have had a few clients who have said, hey, what does this look like? And what are your thoughts? And, and it looked like exactly what you just, the anti-pattern you described, right? All right, iteration one, here's everything we're going to try to do. We might have a sprint goal, we might not, but our past cadence or velocity or whatever it is, because we know story points are trash, but the past cadence or velocity is 20. So we're going to cram 20 into this one. All right. What does iteration two look like? We got 20 more points to create. And, and so by the end, they actually have fleshed out uh, backlogs for each iteration. They're, they're planning these at six, uh, six sprints out. And I watch this and I just go, it takes one little thing or one dependency that you think you have managed, but isn't. And this whole thing just crumbles. And, and so it's good to hear that, that the theory is actually big goals across the six, some implementation ideas, some dependency management, some risk mitigation. Maybe in the upcoming sprint, there's a little more detail, but everything else is kind of vague. So we're preserving options, right? Um, it, it's more in the middle between what you're describing and what okay. I'm describing. The, the theory does expect to see less and less detail as we proceed through the PI. We are talking about, you know, having um, guard bands, ballast, buffers, whatever you want to call it, because we know that reality is going to be different than, you know, these post-its that we're now putting there for stuff that's going to happen more than two months from now. But we are flushing out, at least at some level, we're breaking down the features that we're bringing into the PI one level down to get a feeling for what's possible, what do we think we need from other teams, what's our hypothesis about what's going to happen. The challenge is remembering that this is an hypothesis and remembering that there's going to be a lot of uncertainty as we, you know, as, as the rubber meets the road for, for this PI. Um, if we don't go one level down, if we just keep it that these are the features, you know, let's see what fits in, that the risk is that our plan is not going to be realistic. It's not going to have enough meat on the bones to, to really stress test it, to really say we're confident in it or we're not confident in it. You know what, though? It, some would say that you you adopt professional scrum because you embrace uncertainty and want to manage risk. And then they would say you embrace safe because you reject uncertainty and you want to have predictability. And so you see those implementations play out. Now, again, on the scrum side, there are definitely mechanical, I mean, zombie scrum, Barry and Chris, you know, Barry Overeem, Christian Vere, who's out of the Netherlands, their scrum, zombie scrum survival guidebook is exactly because there's bad scrum implementations. So we have to concede that, right? But at the same time, when you have a framework like SAFE that is hell-bent on giving the illusion or the actual implementation of predictability, it also makes it hard to also say your whole PI planning is a hypothesis and all the work you just did to plan could, can, and will change, right? I guess the... Or tell me if, Mike, if, I, if I've mischaracterized. I want to make sure I'm fair with you. I think you're mischaracterizing it a bit. So you know, it's in the nuances. So SAFE does try to achieve predictability, some predictability of what the business might expect. And I think 
in many environments with Scrum, we try to achieve some predictability as well, despite the uncertainty and risk. We use Scrum and SAFE, by the way, to manage risk, manage uncertainty in a way where despite all of the uncertainty, we can have some predictability. Now, this is magic, right? How do you do that? Right. You cannot have full predictability to everything that will happen. But what you can do is you can prioritize. You can decide those are the things that are really important to me. I know a lot is going to shift, but that's my core. That's the that's the, the main the main bone through this PI that we're going to focus on. And we're going to throw a lot overboard in order to protect this core stuff. And PI planning is a lot about this. And PI execution is also a lot about this. Identifying what's the core, what are the things that we really want to focus on. And that's why it's so valuable to have the stakeholders beyond, you know, product owners and the teams, to have stakeholders from the business outside the team available throughout the PI planning uh, process, like we have them in the sprint review in Scrum, to give feedback on, is this really the core stuff that we should be protecting for? Is this stuff that could be a sandbag that we throw overboard if push comes to shove? Uh, we we are willing to, you know, have some space in the PI, not loaded to a hundred percent for sure, not loaded to one hundred and twenty percent. We even have a an IP iteration towards the end of the PI, two weeks, which we don't plan for at all. A lot of things that we do to achieve predictability, some predictability, not full predictability, some predictability, while acknowledging that there's a lot of uncertainty in the work that we're doing. You know, something else that I see applied heavily to PI planning is, is that when, when you go back to retrospect about the, the last pro product increment, um, is that there is a lot of discussion around planned versus actual. There are teams that want to see how accurate they were at planning five to six sprints out. And, and to me, that's, again, it's, it's that bent on predictability, but I think even you would agree, we're never going to be good at this, right? If, if we're getting a hundred percent of our PI planning, correct, I'm, I'm either calling foul, someone's cooking the books or we sandbagged so badly that we couldn't possibly miss. You know what I mean? Yeah, so so let's talk a bit about that. And I know you and Todd uh, had a deep conversation about the uh, PI predictability score and uh, how it caused the Southwest uh, Christmas uh, Armageddon. Um, oh, you 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 found the trap. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Let's remember what PI predictability is about and what's the context. And again, it goes back to our previous conversation about. But wait a minute, I want to I want to hold your, your feet to the fire a little bit. So the people in that video that we published that were giving a talk at the Safe Summit used that as a metric for success. So that I want to make sure we're I'm clear. Gonna, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to comment on that. I, I got that, I, but I just want to make sure people aren't thinking that I just pulled this unfair argument out of the air. That was no. from. That was from their mouths, right? Okay, cool. Go ahead. I'm um, sorry. So PI predictability score, why do we even have that metric and what it's about? Perfect. So again, SAFE is taking the evolutionary path. Organizations, project managers, PMOs, leaders, 
have been doing plan versus actual for ages. And one approach to that uh, would be to say, you know, we're in an evidence-based world of empiricism. Just, you know, break that habit cold. Just stop, right? That's one way to do it. So you don't, you know, it doesn't make sense to do any sort of plan versus actual. You know, whatever we manage to do, we manage to do. Predictability is, you know, not that important. Uh, you know, it will be done when it's done. I, I remember, you know, in one of the Agile Israel conferences, uh, we were doing a panel and one of the uh, well-known um, Scrum Alliance uh, CSTs, you probably know the guy, um, was on the stage and somebody was asking, you know, we need to have a, a big release at some point and we need to know, the business needs to know, you know, when it's going to be ready. And, you know, the CST answer was, well, you can't know. Tell the business, you can't know, right? Now, that's, I mean, there's some truth to that statement, but there's also a lot of, arrogance and disregard for what's driving business. I, I know you, when you run, um, you know, a professional angel leadership, um, you know, class at scrum.org, predictability is one of the highlights of the conversation, Ron, when, when well, you know, I came cons- and, 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 t- and took the class, predictability was a big topic there. The so predictability is of, important to business leaders. It is. A- absolutely. Totally concede the point. The context of predictability, though, is what's, I think, important. So when someone says, can we predict down to the person what they're going to do in a sprint? The answer is no. Can we predict down to the product backlog item what's going to happen in a sprint? The answer is no. Can we, from a predictable standpoint, say that each and every sprint, we will commit to a sprint goal and achieve it? Now we're in the yes Ah, mode. Now say yes. You're playing playing into my hand. Thank you. So... What are what's what's the predictability score measuring? It's measuring those PI objectives that I talk about. Sure. Remember, the backlogs are not the output of PI planning. We don't even look at them. I some teams look at them. Some teams take the output of PI planning and put it straight into Jira or DevOps, whatever, uh, or their or their boards. But they're not the output we commit to. From PI planning, we commit a, to the PI objectives. From a theory we, or practice standpoint, though? Practice, practice. What we commit to in a practical sense, we commit to PI objectives. Okay. Some organizations, by the way, don't use PI objectives, which is a shame. You might have seen in PI plannings that you attend, people don't have time for this, they don't really understand for this, like people don't have sprint goals, right? Same Correct. story. Yep. Uh, we have a lot of work to do. We're going to be busy for many years to come. No worries there. Um, the money will never so, run out. Yes, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> when we finish the PI, actually every two weeks, at the or, or let's start with the theory and my you know my addition on top of it. Sure. The theory is at the end of the PI, we look at that plan of record PI objectives. And we look at, okay, how did we do with these objectives? And we can, you know, compare plan versus actual. There's an additional level of um, granularity there, which is each PI objective, both at the beginning and at the end of the PI, 
get some sort of business value score on how much value, how much impact do we believe this PI objective has on the business or we believe it will have. And at the end of the PI, how much are we seeing before we even release it, which is, you know, a side conversation we can get back to. And that enables us to get an understanding of, are we even in the ballpark? Like, are we smoking something good when we're planning the PI and, you know, ending up with 25% of our objectives achieved? Or are we more or less in the ballpark? Like, is it 80%, 90%, 70%? That means we can, when teams commit to PI objectives, it means something. That's the conversation there. It's right. not and about I, PBIs. It's and, about and I see that. And goals. I, I agree with you. And and that's heavily tied to, if we're to pull in another idea to complicate this, if we're looking at evidence-based management, for example, that's very heavy in time to market. It's very disconnected from value because you're even evaluating this before you release. And so what I, I find, though, is the anti-pattern here is that there is some value specific thing imbued on this on this metric even though it is strictly tied to a time to market delivery based idea is that fair i think just I mean, say yes like you and Todd discussed <laughs> i'm not sure where to fit the pi predictability score to ebm i think that's a movie in and of itself that i'm happy to go into sure but i fully agree there's a catch here that we are um, predicting, still predicting business value when we're finishing the PI, unless we already delivered stuff, which you can do, by the way. Right, right, right. Totally but agree. most organizations don't do it uh, throughout the PI. I actually wrote a blog post. We can link to it in the, in the notes that talks about actual, actual business value. I even talked at the Safe Summit about this to talk about, you know, this gap. Um, that we need to close if we really want to be evidence-based in, in the conversations about PI objectives. Well, and even uh, like so, the, heavy, so there. the heavy connection to the train and the release, right? Even this, because you, you just said you can release at any time during the, the train execution or the, the, the PI work, but you also said most organizations don't. And that's, yeah. that's kind of an interesting, well, maybe that's a future video, but, but that disconnect from value along with this PI score is really interesting to me. I'm not going to beat this point down any further, but that disconnect, I think, is problematic with this particular metric. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting, the, the name ART, Agile Release Train, it's not a name that makes too much sense these days, if I'm honest about it. It's kind of a side topic, but if you think about, it makes a lot of sense when you think about where it's coming from, sure. but not the reality of Agile today. The history of Agile release trains was, you know, organizations, delivery organizations were struggling with the fact that since they didn't have a cadence, or, you know, their business marketing constantly pushed more and more stuff onto the release and the release yep. just, you know, was a big uh, uh, avalanche snowball that, you know, ne never um, managed to cross the finish line. And by moving into a train mode, it enabled control, it enabled some predictability of at least when the release was going to uh, come out and also uh, some of its content and save 
use that term to uh, describe a structural element, which is um, the agile release train, the team of teams. That, That has nothing to do with actual releases. So in agile release train, we say that it... Um, develops continuously, we release on demand. So releases could happen at any time throughout the um, the PI. It could happen at the end of the PI. It could happen once every couple of PIs, if that's your uh, reality. But a lot of people still associate. Every, every time I work with an organization, every class, people still associate just because of the language. Language is so important. People still associate an art with the release and by default go into this mode of you don't release throughout the PI. You release at the end of the PI. So, you know, I sometimes wish that the name for an art would be different, but there's a lot of legacy. Changing the name of the art is like, would we go and change Scrum Master to a different name in this uh, day and age? Right. There, there are some problems with that name, but we're not going to change that name. Nope. No, and, and to me, I, I, as we come up on on the half hour here, I I, I look at PI planning, and I, of course, I've I've taken a few shots at it, and I, you know, I, I think there's some there's some interesting points for us to continue working through on future videos. We certainly want all of your questions and comments below. Make sure that you let us know your thoughts on PI planning, your questions about it. What I think the charitable way that I look at this, right? So if I take some of the criticisms aside, what I think. PI planning has done is really taken the time that teams should be spending on product backlog refinement and formalized it. Mm. That's kind of how I'm, I'm, that's how I've kind of rationalized it in my head. It's basically saying product backlog refinement is now an event and we're calling it PI planning. And you're going to look at your product backlog and you're going to add some detail. You're going to forecast it out. You're going to figure out some sprint goals. You're going to do this as a team with your stakeholders. And you're really just saying, it's no longer optional. And when I think about it like that, I kind of close my eyes and I think this is probably okay. Um, when I open my eyes again, I'm like, no, 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 we can't do that. But I, that's kind of where my head space is at with it uh, at this point. Let, let, let me suggest that that's an interesting way to look at it. Um, an alternative is to say PI planning is the future of quarterly planning. Sure. Business planning, whatever. We understand, okay, what do we need to achieve as a business? What can we actually do? Involving everybody that has a stake in actually making these things happen rather than telling them, you know, coming up with arbitrary, let's talk OKRs. You know, one option is to come up with arbitrary objectives and key results and tell people this is what you'll be able to do. This is what you're you're going to do. And then be surprised that that doesn't happen on the, or that people are frustrated at the end of the quarter. The alternative is to involve people and say, okay, this is where we want to go. This is what's important to us. Let's collaborate on the art of the possible. You know, share our thoughts, have a couple of rounds and converge to a baseline plan, a starting point. We will evolve it throughout the PI or throughout the quarter for how are we going to, to run this quarter? And it energizes people, it connects people. It's an opportunity, especially in this day and age of remote work to actually get teams together. 
whether so, it's together on Zoom or Teams or actually in the same room and create some, some runway for collaboration for, for the next quarter. I wish every SPC would watch this and execute PI planning just as you described it. Because I, I wonder, and we have this problem on the Scrum side, right? Does the, the Scrum Master off the street execute Scrum the same way that, that someone who's committed to this as a lifelong career? Or does a is a fellow needed to get PI planning to this level? And, and so I, I, the way that you describe it, I would do what you just said over annual planning every day of the week and twice on Sunday, right? I, I think that's a, an excellent vision. What you described and what's actually out in the world, and again, we have plenty of these issues on the Scrum side as well, but I think what you described and what's in practice, there's a, there's a, a separation. Yeah. Yeah, Jerry Weinberg called it the, the law of the raspberry jam. Yeah, the, the further it spreads, the thinner it gets. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with Safety you. Safety is very successful, and here it's, to, that's the, you know, it's an issue. The expertise yeah. around how to do these sort of things well and understanding of the principles, it's not spread as widely as... As I, as I wish it would be. Yep. Very good. Well, Yuval, thank you for talking through PI planning and thank you for working through some of those ideas. Uh, what all of you, what do we all think, right? How do we, I think you've all did great. How do you feel about it? What are your questions? What are your comments? What have you seen in PI planning? Leave it below. Uh, we'd love to see your comments. Your comments turn into future videos. So keep the good questions coming and we'll keep recording videos. Um, like and subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. We're going to keep publishing these probably once a week or so. And so you don't want to miss when these drop. Um, and again, just thanks for the great conduct in the community. We really appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back next week with another Breaking the Safe topic. Uh, for Yuval, I'm Ryan. Go forward and do your research. All of our resources are dropped in the description so you can check out the websites we're looking at and come to your own conclusions. And uh, let us know how that goes. We'll see you next week. See you, Ryan. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and Scrum on. <laughs>